0: Okay, really quick. I know this is like super unusual. We don't record ads and this isn't technically an ad, but it kind of is. But it's, it's, like, an a ad self, for us. it's like a self. It's like it's like a self ad. It's a sad. No, it's not sad. It's happy. Very happy. Yeah. So, as you may know or maybe you don't, we are launching a fitness program. It's going to be lower in cost. Oh, I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) We're launching a fitness program. It's called, very creatively, Tactic Functional Fitness. And we need people to test it, beta testers. We need... Beta testers. I don't care if you're
1: new to fitness or you're an experienced athlete. Correct. You are eligible to beta test.
0: We actually want people from all backgrounds and abilities and skill levels. If you've never worked out in your life, we want you. You don't have to be an Unless athlete to do like this. Unless you don't like cats. If you don't okay. like cats, then just leave that off of the application. <laughs> Speaking of application, we are opening applications for beta testers. Unfortunately, we won't be able to take every single person, but we do want to give you all the option and ability to apply. So you can click the link that's in the show notes to apply to be a beta tester. You'll have to fill out some basic information about yourself, age, experience level, how much equipment you have, that kind of thing, just to help us know what category of human being you fall into. If you're selected, we will reach out with instructions to get onto our website and our platform to start testing our program. And the best part, it's free. You get free programming and you get to like interact with us. It's going to be sick. Yeah. We're very excited about it and we just need your help with it. So please apply. Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. You completed the
1: race, it wasn't what you wanted or expected or imagined. It was difficult. And like the opportunity there for growth, or at least one opportunity, is to have to like cope with that and like be okay with it and force yourself into like accepting it and being proud. A hundred-mile race is a good representation of a lot of really difficult things in life. And it's gonna get hard. It's gonna feel like you know there are moments where you wanna quit and there are gonna be great moments, there are gonna be tough moments, and I think the takeaway is like you gotta keep going. Welcome back to the Afternoon Snack Podcast. Today on the show, we have return guest, my client, Tanya Turner. She was originally on the podcast a few episodes back when we talked about our experience together running the Elk Valley Ultra. She just completed the Oregon Classic 100-mile race. 100 miles. And I participated with her as her pacer for 34 of those miles. And dang, those 34 were hard. So we're going to discuss our experience, our trauma bonding through the night. And it's just going to be a fun one. I hope you enjoy Welcome back to the show. How are you feeling?
2: I, physically, I'm feeling pretty good, actually. My knee hurts a little bit, but emotionally, I'm kind of all over the place. Post-competition blues? Yeah,
1: definitely. That's common.
0: I feel like the post-competition blues has to hit harder for parents with young kids because the kids just have no like comprehension of what yeah. you've done and they, they actually like don't care.
2: Yeah, my kids have no clue. I've said Like mom ran a hundred miles. Maeve doesn't know what a hundred miles is. First of all,
0: (laughs) you should make her run a mile
1: and be like, now times that by a hundred. That's what mom just did. (laughs) Good job, Alex. You'd make a great
0: mom. That's true.
2: Yeah. So both of my big toenails are going to fall off any day, but my kids obviously don't know that or respect that at all. So they've stepped on my toes several times (laughs) and then I just like lose it because it hurts so bad and they're really confused. That's fun too. Good times.
1: Okay. So we have so many stories. We have so many stories and so many experiences from like the last two days out in Bend, Oregon. But like, at what point and when did you decide you were going to run a hundred mile race?
2: I had decided, I think it was 2019. I paced my friend AJ for his second hundred miler and his first one I paced him for. He was very underprepared and it was kind of a disaster. (laughs) And I said, oh, I'm not going to do a 100 miler because that was like what I thought they looked like. And then when I paced them after Zion, I paced for the last 16 miles and I just saw all these people finishing a 100 miler. And I thought, well, if they can do it, I can surely do it. So it was back in 2019 where I had decided at some point I'll do a hundred miler. And then last year was when I had thought, you know, I've had two kids. I feel like I've kind of lost a lot of myself, just basically being more of a mom, which is not necessarily bad, but I wanted to do something hard for myself, just to kind of find myself again as an athlete. And so that's when I decided I like, okay, I think I'm gonna try to make it work if I can. And it did.
1: That's awesome. When you paced AJ the first time, what miles did you run with him?
2: I think eighty-four to the end. Okay. So basically when I swapped you out.
1: Okay, so you ran the last bit on both times with him.
2: No, the first time I ran with him at three in the morning. Oh,
1: okay. So you had yeah. experienced the nighttime run to some degree I had. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I ran with you. I did the from 50 miles to 84 miles. And that was kind of crazy because you started at 6am and we like had a full day and I started running like just after 6pm with you. So like it was wild to think like that entire day that I was like hanging out with Meredith, hanging out with your husband and Ariel and Matt, you were running that entire time. I was like, I've had three meals. We went for a little jog. It was like Like I did some work and then I started running with you for like a legitimate run for me. I think this was the first time because I've had clients run 100 miles or 100K, but this is the first time where it kind of was like put in perspective and then feeling how it is to run through the night. But we'll get more into that. But I kind of got wrangled into pacing you, your pacer, the guy that you had
2: an injury. Yes. He
1: dropped out and you were like, I have another backup. And I was like, "Okay, cool. But before that, I kind of was like, Oh, bend is only 10 hours from Fernie. Like I just kind of said that. I don't know how it went down. But I think you were like, Oh, don't worry, I won't need you. I have a backup pacer. And then you were like, Okay, so my backup pacer is not really keen on doing it. So can you
2: your response was what airport are you flying into? Yeah. And so I thought, Okay, maybe she like actually wants to do this. I thought maybe you did when you said that bend was only 10 hours from you. But that's like a Big ask of someone to say like, hey, in three weeks, can you, you know, like book tickets, drive all the way down here, run through the entire night with me. So I was trying to feel out if you were into it.
0: It's like one of those offers that you make to someone, you're like, oh, let me know if you need help. But like, you know that they probably won't. But it's like the right thing to do to offer. <laughs> no, and <yeah>. then <laughs> at one point, you were
1: like, thanks so much for offering, but I have a backup runner. And I was like, sweet. So I get the credit for offering, but I don't actually have to do it. I'm a great yes. person.
2: <laughs> My first backup, Back up, she has her own hundred miler in a couple weeks and so i think she was gonna make it work if i had nobody but for her that would be a lot given her own race she was working towards so
1: yeah i was happy to do it i mean i'd like to think things through for multiple weeks before i decide especially when it comes to travel and you were like okay so are you in because i i need to know if i need to start like finding someone else and i was like oh my gosh like I've never been put on the spot like this, but I was like, just give me an hour to process. I think I said that. And then I was like, whatever, I'll just do it. And it was a great experience. Like during, I had some regrets, but like who doesn't in most athletic endeavors? There's always a moment in some race or
0: some event where you're like, why
1: am I doing this? Yes. Why did I sign up for this? So
0: really quick, because some people may not have listened to your previous episode. What was this race? What hundred miler was it? Where was it? What was the terrain like? Tell us the deep. Oh,
2: it was the Oregon Cascades 100 that starts in Bend, Oregon. So your first, I think like 60, 70 miles are on the Bend side, which are very smooth trails, like lots of runnable stuff, but you climb most of your 12,000 feet of elevation there until you drop down into the sister side, which is much more rocky and that portion you're doing in the night. So can't really make up a ton of time there because you're trying to make sure you don't eat it (laughs) running through the night. It's a little bit more technical, still nothing crazy. And then you end
1: in sisters. It was compared to Elk Valley Ultra, which we talked about on the last podcast. It was definitely like easier terrain. It Mm -hmm. wasn't as steep. It wasn't as like rocky in spots, at least when I ran it, the part of it with you. I think just the duration of it, like you were out there for 28 hours. That's crazy.
2: I know. It hasn't like sunk in yet. I'm still thinking through it.
1: Okay. So you started at 6 a.m. So you had to get up at four in the morning to kind of get ready Mm -hmm. to have your poo, to make sure you had enough coffee. And then we all drove you out to the start. And you're like really nervous. What were you nervous about?
2: Well, I self coached for this. So I was a little bit nervous just to see how I would hold up physically for the whole duration. I was nervous about what would happen at night because, you know, you hear all these stories of like, oh, you can't even feed yourself or you're delirious or you get sick. There's like all these things that could happen just depending on what happens during the day. Like, how did your nutrition go? What did you eat? How hot was it? And there's really no way to practice those things, I guess, unless you run longer than 11, 12 hours, which I didn't do because that just didn't work for my family and my training, which and I was okay with that. So I was nervous about what would happen at night. And then, sure enough, that was the hardest part. And I was nervous because I knew I had worked really hard and I had put in the right type of work. So I wanted to show myself and show everybody else, like, that, you know, I'm a good athlete and I did it. And I, like, I wanted to complete it, all those things. I wanted to prove all my hard work and, like, show it off, I guess. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's valid, I think. I forgot to mention that Meredith rented a car that was so absolutely unnecessary. It was. It was so great. I don't want to forget that point, but it basically, like, it had two trunks, one in the front, one in the back.
0: I think the front one's called a frunk. So, first
2: of all, you had told me Meredith is in charge of the rental car, so it's going to be something stupid. And then... You texted me when you got to the rental car and you said, we're in the rental car. This is so embarrassing. The interior is red.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It was red leather, but parts of it had like red velvet.
0: Oh, I don't think it was. It's like micro suede. Okay, that's to me, that's velvet.
2: So then you basically drove up in a Batmobile.
0: Yeah, it was really awesome. I think the first thing that came out of Alex's mouth when we found it in the parking deck was just the word no. And I was like, yes. That was my price for being Alex's handler on this trip. I was like, well, we're doing carry on luggage. We're packing really light. It's not very often that we even have the opportunity to rent something obnoxious. And so I did it. It was a Corvette for anyone who's wondering that LT3C8. And it was a real blast to drive.
1: Like it fit the luggage. What it didn't fit was the like two bags of groceries you bought. So we had to like stuff each individual item of grocery into the little like spaces and crevasses between our luggage.
0: I did Google before renting it just to like understand what the cargo space was and like if we could fit our stuff. And I had figured out that we would just barely be able to fit our stuff. But yeah, obviously didn't budget for groceries. (laughs)
2: <laughs> and it was like really practical for Alex when she was Thor getting in and out. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> That was the best part. So you're basically <laughs> sitting on the ground.
1: Yeah. I, I'm trying to figure out was the Corvette flashier or Ariel and Matt's bikes? Oh, they're bikes. Your two friends who were there helping Ariel paced you for the last 16 miles. And then Matt, Mm -hmm. her husband was there helping crew, crew and they had brought their road bikes to go for a bike ride while you were running. And these bikes are like bright yellow, lemon lime color. Mm -hmm. matching yeah matching and then they put on their helmets which were the same color as their bikes and also matching each other their whole kit
0: was spectacular yeah i was like your dorkiness
1: level just doubled tripled maybe they
2: don't mess around i love that i knew they would bond with meredith instantly yeah
0: just the gear toys
1: it's always fun to meet new people and like people that you you live a similar lifestyle to like it's it's kind of funny that a lot of our vacations and travel kind of revolve around fitness endeavors and so I think you can connect with someone like that regardless of what else you have in common and that was really cool
2: the first like 12 hours I was running I was nervous I didn't know how the whole crew was gonna gel you know that's like a big you're you're leaving your whole crew and like I know all of you but all of you don't know all of each other. Yeah. And so I think when you joined me, Alex, that was one of the first things I asked. I was like, how's it going?
0: Is everyone getting along and being nice? <laughs> I listened to this podcast by someone who I think you know. Her name's Erin Green. She's a triathlete from your area uh-huh. in Boise. She's local. Yeah. yeah. She has a really good podcast, by the way. I don't know if you listen to it, but she recorded one two years ago. I think she did Unbound for the first time and she's coming off of a Ironman background and Un- Unbound is this gravel race in Kansas. That's 200 miles if you do the main event. And that I think takes, I want to say like 15 hours or longer for some people. And she was saying how for her, like with all her triathlon experience, her body wasn't used to experiencing anything longer than like nine hours. Like that was what she would do in Ironman in. And she made a comment that every hour longer than what your body has seen and experienced just starts to compound and get like exponentially more difficult. Would you say that that was your experience in this type of race, too?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Because I think my longest training run was 11 hours. And it was the eleven hour mark where I started to get sick and kind of loopy and I tried my best to hold it together. And I think Alex kinda of saw that and we'll talk about that when we get into the night stuff, but until I couldn't anymore and it kinda of all fell apart.
0: So you picked up Alex at around the eleven hour mark, I think, or twelve hour ish. Ahead of that, there were a couple of aid stations, one or two that we were at and then a couple that we weren't at. So like what's the main priority in aid stations for these types of races?
2: To refuel on water and electrolytes and then and get calories from whatever they have. I was really quick in the aid stations. I knew exactly what I wanted. I didn't mess around. And I would make up a lot of time that way, which I think was good because I did make some time. But I think what I missed, again, would never have known this had I not just tried one. I carried a lot of my own fuel and like I used Awesome Sauce from Spring Energy and then Shop Blocks. And I would have taken more time at the aid stations and gotten more real food earlier or at least like transitioned into that a bit earlier than just relying on those. But it's really interesting when you go through the eight stations just to see the different approaches. Some people take a really long time, like a long time, like basically like they're having cocktails. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> and then other people are just in and out. They get what they need and they go. So I think that just depends on preference and how you're using it to support your race.
0: Yeah. Speaking of cocktails, I think Andy got out the like fireball at one point. It was just like unpacking yeah. it. Cause you had a bottle of it and she was like, <gasps> Is that alcohol? We're just like so appalled. But Alex, you're very pure like that.
2: I mean, Alex, you'll see if you do more. Of it. You have
0: to be drunk <laughs> sometimes.
2: Some races just like have fireball or margaritas at the aid stations. Like that's not uncommon. Right? I could
1: see why you need alcohol for those now. I can see it.
2: You definitely don't need it. It's just like a nice. nice to have. I mean, I just took the tiniest sip and, it, you know, the two hours after I had a sip of it were nice. Yeah, it was good. There was also
0: some like toe lubing and like shoe changing and sock changing going on at these aid stations where we were. So it seemed like kind of managing your feet was also a really big part of being able to continue.
2: Yeah. And that was one thing that I did really well. My feet look really good. Like apart from my big toenails that are purple, (laughs) I think I had two blisters that have like basically gone away already. They've gone down. Like my feet look completely normal. And I've seen some pictures like on the Alpine Running Instagram. And other people's feet look really
1: bad. To talk more about like the aid stations and and foot care and and all that, like there was a significant amount of planning that you did and that needs to be done, I think, for these races. Like you're not winging it. Like you're not getting to the aid station being like, hmm, what should I take? What should I have? You know, what should I do here? Like you had a very specific plan. And like, it was so planned out. Like we had a meeting the night before where like at each aid station that you saw your crew, you had instructions for the crew on like what shoes to give you, what socks to put on, like what to do with your water and what you needed retrieved from the aid stations and all that. So it's like, there was a lot of like planning and and structure there. And like, okay, which headlamp am I going to take? I'm going to take my jacket and my hat at this aid station. And it was very, very planned out. Like, you had a very good plan for nutrition early on. It was like, you're going to take the awesome sauce at the top of the hour and then the shop blocks at the bottom or vice versa. You know, you can a- adapt as you go, but like having a good plan of attack, even though it, in hindsight, you could have adjusted it. You now know that maybe that wasn't the best plan or we now know mm-hmm. at least like, you know, you had a very good structured plan ahead of time. You weren't just kind of like going with the flow.
2: I think our best compliment was Pam Reed is this ultra running legend. And she was at the race pacing her son, who was running very similar times to me. So our crew got to see her and hang out with her. And she came up and said that our setup was the best setup she had ever seen in her ultra running career. And she I had made a binder and she asked to see the binder. And hearing that I was like, OK, I did something right. And <laughs> she's giving us compliments.
0: <laughs> I like I didn't realize who that was until after the fact. I like figured out how to look her up. And like in hindsight, I'm like, wow, I wish I had taken some time to like talk to her about everything that she's done because she's run over like 110, 100 mile races. She holds a ton of records. I think she had or has the Badwater records. She's a really accomplished Mm -hmm. runner and she's just like hanging out in the aid station and we're just like shooting the shit. I had no idea who she was.
1: She's 62. Like you just don't see a lot of 62 year olds out running these races or even pacing. She like broke her femur this year and she's out like she's recovered and out running. Like that's insane. I asked her what she loved most about those 100 milers and she said she couldn't really even articulate it. She was just like, just the challenge, like crossing the finish line, like testing your limits. I think that is truly why people do it. It's like, how far can you push yourself?
0: She did one like dragging a sled that took her over 50 hours and she didn't sleep. I was like, that is incomprehensible to me. <laughs> so, okay, let's let's talk. So when I picked you up, you were a little bit emotional when you
1: were coming through to the aid station. Mm-hmm. It had been a rough couple of miles and more than a couple leading up to that aid station where you, you saw us. So tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, the first like 20 miles of the race just flew by. Like you're talking to people, everybody's in good spirits, people want to talk. So that was great. I remember like mile 25, being alone more often and not having people to talk to. And the difference in how quickly miles go by when you're talking to somebody versus when you're not is drastic. So miles 25, basically to 50 were pretty lonely to me. And so you also start hitting certain lows, like maybe your legs will kind of go and then they'll come back later. I also started getting nauseous at mile 45. So I was going through cycles of like something would hurt. I wouldn't have anyone to talk to. I'd find somebody to talk to. Like I found one gal before I came into the first aid station to see you guys. I think it was like mile 36. So that helped. And then I was all pumped because I saw you and then I went back out and then, I don't know, an hour later. So yes, that was a lot. And starting to deal with the nausea and sickness, like that was kind of scary for me too and not having anyone with me. So when I came into mile 50 to get you, I was really overwhelmed that now I got Alex or Ariel for the rest of the race. Like I knew I had somebody with me.
1: Yeah. And then you kind of told me, you're like, I'm not feeling great. I'm feeling nauseous. Like the uphills are jacking my heart rate, which is making the nausea worse. So I'm walking the uphills and trying to run the flats and the downhills. And so at that point it was like, you said, you're like, I'm going to go in front. So just follow behind me. And then I was like, okay, this is when I'm going to start reminding her to eat. And I think at that point we had about two hours before we were going to hit the next aid station where we were going to see our crew again, and then go into the night. So we still had daylight for that first two hours of our nighttime stint. It was like the evening. And that was when you were like, I'm feeling nauseous. I had you stop taking the electrolytes because I was like, it had started cooling off at that point. And I was thinking maybe the electrolytes were causing some nausea, which is possible. Mm -hmm. But also thinking back, like it's so hard to know because you had been at it for, at that point, over 12 hours. So I'm like, maybe nausea is just kind of part of it. it. Yeah. you never know, like nausea could be a multiple things. And I think the good thing was, was even though you kind of had to start taking breaks from fueling as frequently, the fact that you had been so consistent leading up was huge. And we talk about this when we're like fueling for marathons, like you, you may not feel like you need fuel early on, but that's when your body is like, most readily able to use and like utilize that fuel. So like the earlier you can get it in the better. Whereas like if you wait until you feel like you need it, you can get into trouble. So I felt like we were in a good place, even though you couldn't really continue to take things in as as frequently.
2: That was helpful mentally too. Just knowing at least the whole first half, the whole first 50, I was on it. My body has energy. Knowing that was really helpful. Yeah. So then progressively as I couldn't take in as much, And it basically got down to zero, that was less nerve wracking just because I knew I had something.
1: Yeah. So then we got to that aid station before the nighttime. And the nighttime, like going into the night, we knew we weren't going to see them for over 20 miles, our crew. Like there were multiple aid stations in between. I think there were three. And then we were going to see the crew again, where you were going to switch out me for Ariel.
2: I think we thought it was going to be like, what eight to nine hours, maybe 10. Yeah. I think that was
1: the I was like, <laughs> estimate. I was like, sweet. So she's picking me up at like six, six 30. I'll be back in bed at like 3am and I'll be able to get some sleep. So I was like, it's not going to be an all nighter. Well, that's not what happened. That's not. Originally I thought it was 9 to 6 a.m. 9 p.m. to 6 a.m. which then Meredith would have been able to sleep, which I was like, "Okay, hey, that's yeah. that's not bad at least she won't be up all night." What was it? 7 to 6? It was a 6:30 to almost 7, I think. I just okay, I so honestly don't out. even know when we finished. No. But so yeah, so we we stopped and then we kind of said bye to our crew and went <laughs> off into the night with our headlamps. And honestly like I can try to remember some of the stuff that happened, but I think we kind of laughed. Like it's almost indescribable that experience.
2: Did we have fun the first few hours yes. before it got dark? Yeah, we were chatting, we, we were okay. telling
1: stories.
2: Okay. That's right, that's right. And then the first part of the night was good. Yeah, it was. I thought. Like I was feeling really good. I remember, like we were had a nice little clip. And then I think just like as the nausea progressed, like we tried to alter the nutrition approach. And then some of our efforts to do that and keep some calories in me, like the
1: Coca-Cola. I was like, you need to switch to liquid calories, like maybe Coke. And you're like, okay, so you (laughs) drank Coke and you're like, I think I can do another cup. Should I do it? And I'm thinking like, probably if she's feeling good with that, like take another and you know, I didn't think about the carbonation.
2: Alex has never heard anyone burp so many times for it's, hours on it. Which is
1: saying something because Alex burps a lot. I do burp a lot. I do. <laughs> I went through a bout of like GERD, like what does that say? Gastroesophageal... reflux reflux disease. disease. I had that, I'm pretty sure. So like I, use, I burp a lot, but like this was like next level because you had nausea and burping. So you'd like burp and then be like, oh... <laughs> And then you'd turn around and I'd be like, I'm okay, I'm okay. I think like the first bit of the night was, was fine. You were like, I'm going to do this. Like, and I was like, of course, there's no option to quit. Like you're going to do it. You're doing it. And you were like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And you kept kind of like, you were talking to yourself. And I will admit, I'm not like the most like encouraging person. Like I, I like to, to give people a lot of like, I'll say like, good job. You're doing great. You can do this like once in a while. But I'm just like my coaching style isn't that I think maybe you can speak to that. But I'm not not like that person who's always like, you've got this. You've got this. You know, like I'm more like she knows it. She knows she can do it. If she didn't, she wouldn't be doing it kind of thing. So you kind of started saying like, I can do this. I can do this like out loud. And I was like, of course you can. And I was trying to kind of like pump you up, but like keep it relaxed. And you were like started like whispering to yourself yeah, like I can do this. And I think that kind of shifted into the like, I don't know if I can do this. It started getting a little bit squirrely.
2: Yeah. And I think part of what flipped that for me was when I started urinating every 20 minutes, the nausea got really bad. So like I started getting dizzy. And I think at that point I hadn't ate or drank in a few hours. Like I just couldn't, anytime I would try, I thought I was going to puke. And then all of a sudden I was peeing a ton. Even though I hadn't drank any water and like a lot of pee. And so I think you and I were both a little freaked out because we're delirious. We're like, do I have rhabdo? Even because we can't remember what the symptoms are. Like, we're in the middle of the night, we're freezing cold, and you need to see what color the I pee is. And you can't see. Yeah. I was like trying to get my headlamp to like look at it, and I just could not <laughs> bend that way. In hindsight, I should have just made Alex look, but I didn't. And. <laughs> and then oh I kept asking you if I should be worried
1: and I was I was like I, and you didn't know I either like, I I don't know like I don't know and yeah I, like I didn't feel comfortable being like no it's fine like I did say like you've been at this for a while like your body could be just like flushing out a lot of fluid that you took in but I, I didn't know like I think I said that at one point but I'm like. It wasn't very convincing. Like I don't think I have made you feel better. Then you started getting really like dizzy, and I was like, mm-hmm. uh we we stopped at an aid station and you had had like a sip of broth. You couldn't even drink the broth and then you sucked out the juice of an orange slice. <laughs> that's what you <laughs> <I> did. <laughs> <laughs> and then you were like, I don't want to be sitting too long. And I was like, "Hey, let's keep going." And then that's when it got pretty bad.
2: Which now that we know what we know about the next aid station, we should have sat there longer. Yeah. Cause there was, we should have sat there longer. Yeah. But w- whatever we're both new.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we're new here. We went off into the night and yeah, it, it was slow moving. Like my watch was set to kilometers and I would look down and I'd be like 15, 15 minutes per kilometer. Like I was doing the math in my head. Like we have five kilometers to go. And I'm like, that's an hour and 20 minutes.
2: That whole chunk. Cause I think I had jogged portions of all the miles up until that point And we still had a few hundred feet of climbing and that whole section between those two aid stations I think we walked the whole thing yeah
1: and it was like because I was starting to
2: trip on things slow walking I was going to the bathroom a lot like all the things we had one 30 minute mile
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was so cold I had dressed for like movement (laughs) thankfully I had mitts and like uh, a buff to keep my neck warm but I was pretty cold you had a jacket and a hat and you were shivering because we just weren't moving fast enough. And like, it's funny, you sent me that meme of like, I just saw it every time someone kind of passed us and we were still, no one was moving really fast. No one was running at that point, it was so dark, but there were people passing us, walking faster and they were like, hey, how's it going? We were like, good, (laughs) like great, thank you. (laughs) Nothing is Uh, wrong. (laughs) We're fine. Yeah. But the last like 4K, I had a little flashlight and I was like, anything's going to be helpful for her at this point because you were tripping. You were nauseous. Mm -hmm. Like, I was like, you got to stay very close behind me in case you do fall like and you have something to grab onto. I was shining like a light behind me for you to see a little bit better. And then I was like, I had the marks. I knew how long it was in between each aid station. So I was like, hey, it's going to be I think I don't know, It was like nine K. And then it was like four K to the aid station. So I was like, okay, we have thirty eight hundred meters to go. So I'm like, let's count the reps down. 38 reps. So every hundred meters was a rep. And it was slow. You were like, what are we on now? I was like 37. Still
0: 37. And then
1: we would get to zero and there was no sign of the aid station. And I was like, what the hell, man? Like at this point, I was like, I was on edge. I was like, hey, now we've been at this for 24 miles. Like I'm freezing you were shivering like you could barely walk and there's no sign of the aid station and we kept seeing lights ahead and it would just be like other people one woman passed us and was like smiling and I, we were both like pretty miserable so she passed us smiling and i was like don't you dare smile at us like i kind of whispered (laughs) it to you when she passed and that was kind of like a high point within the low that we were yes we were laughing
2: and then somebody else ran by and said oh we're just moving to get some warmth and I whispered to Alex, me, 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 me. <laughs> sort of like making fun of everybody else's ability to move, and that we couldn't. I was like, "Okay,
1: hey, sh- we're telling jokes to su- like jokes. This is this good? We've we've got we're something trendy. left." And then yeah. we finally made it to the aid station, and yeah. there was a guy sitting by the fire who was shivering like I've never seen before, and he didn't look well; like he had dropped out.
2: The medic had assessed him. Yeah,
1: and I was yeah. like, "Oh, geez!" And at that point. We had had a lot of talks about you potentially quitting because we were both like we're at mile 75. Like, how are you going to keep going when it's already this bad? Like at
2: one point on the single track trail when I was getting really dizzy, like I like held your hand. (laughs) You tried to hold me up and we realized very quickly that's not going to work. You can't both walk on a single track trail. But like, that's how (laughs) bad it was getting because I was that out of it. Just like I couldn't, like I could still talk and everything, but my equilibrium was like totally jacked. So the whole hour I would say that we were walking, I don't know when it shifted to me basically being like we can't, like I really thought we can't continue like this because I thought the rest of the race would be like that. Like we'd be shivering, we'd be walking, and there was no way. So Alex counseled me for an hour, but why it was like, okay, that I was going to DNF. Cause I had decided I wasn't, I wasn't going to continue that it probably wasn't safe. And we were nervous about all these things.
1: Yeah. You had kind of like accepted that you weren't going to be able to continue. And so at that point it was like, Hey, we got to just make it to the aid station. Cause like no one can rescue us here. <laughs> I think at one point I was like, is there another option? Like didn't yeah, re-
2: you like stopped and you're like, so can somebody come here?
1: <laughs> I was like, yeah, hey, well then we have to keep going. I just wanted to be clear that the only path forward was in fact the path forward (laughs) so we made it to the aid station and sat down and i tried to warm up that was my main thing i was just very very cold there was a guy there and you were like i need to see a medic and he was like okay it was almost like he didn't want you to see the medic
2: yeah he sat me down and we like explained to him what had happened and like how basically i didn't think i could continue and he Pretty much didn't acknowledge anything he said. (laughs) He just said, "Okay, I'm gonna get you some broth. Can you do broth?" And I and I said, no." And he's like, "I'm gonna get you some broth." So he sits me down, hands me some broth, and then he'd just keep coming back and checking on me. And I'd try to like say more things like, "Can my crew come?" And he'd say. I mean, technically they can. Here's some more broth. Yeah. <laughs>
0: like he he would not. He probably just heard and like, blah, 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 blah. This is hard. Blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And he's like, you just uh-huh. need noodles.
1: Yeah.
2: Yes. So then it progressed to noodles. Like he would add noodles but to the funny it.
0: Thing, you were like,
1: I was sitting there and I was like, this guy's got her. She's going to see a medic. I think for me, I'm like, I want her to see a medic. Because I was concerned. Like, I was like, mm-hmm. the medic is going to tell you whether it's safe or not. And then at one point, he was like, well, do you want noodles? And you were like, I could, I could try noodles. <laughs> like a little <laughs> kid. Like, I was like, hey. <laughs> and then you're like, I'm peeing a lot. And she was like, okay, so what color is the pee? And this is what you said. And I think you kind of confused her. But I think for, I didn't correct her because I was like, at this point, she'll take you seriously because it needs to be taken seriously. Like, things were not good. You were like, well, here's the thing. It's dark. And I was like, she, I said that? she probably thought your pee is dark. It was oh. like, I can't, what you meant was I can't see what color my pee is.
2: Oh, and she thought I was saying my pee was yeah. dark. Oh, that's funny. She
1: checked your vitals and all that, like whatever she could do on the side of a mountain. And she was like, hey, your heartbeat's low, but that could just be like, you're cold, you're fit. And she basically was like, you're okay to continue. I won't not let you continue. But these are, these are what the stats are saying. And yeah, Ken was like, get the hell out of here, missy. And was like, here, have some noodles. <laughs> and I think you started getting the noodles down. You're like, okay, I'm getting the noodles down. Yeah. And you kept looking at me. You're like, we should. What do you think? Should we just should we just call our, my crew? And Ken was like, and that's no when we one, started texting. No one's going to be able to come for three hours.
2: That's when I think we texted you guys. We texted Meredith and Andy and Ariel and Matt. And I just said, I think, think I'm going to drop. Like, here's what's been happening. We're at Park Meadows aid station, which is like one prior to when we were supposed to see you. It's like 10 and a half miles till we would get to you guys, which is a long way. Yeah. And you can talk a little bit about like how you guys didn't really know what to say. Yeah. Or like how to respond. Well,
0: like that was a weird one because we had gone. We had basically saw you at 57, which was when you had had Alex for however many miles that was. And then we went home and we were planning on getting like maybe like two hours of sleep or something getting up because we were expecting you at the next aid station around, I think, 3 a.m., like 2.30 or 3. Mm -hmm. So we like packed everything up and we, we had given ourselves like, yeah, like an hour, like 30 minutes buffer to get there. And then we were like, Driving to the aid station, which was in this national park just outside of Sisters, and we're joking and having a good time. We were driving up, like the directions are like, you'll drive up a short gravel road. And I think at some point someone was like, This is kind of like a medium gravel road. And so we're like, Well, you know directions. And so we're just like beep bopping down this road at like two in the morning. And we were literally right before that talking about like I think someone, maybe Andy, was kind of bragging about navigation skills and how like, you know, good they are at navigating. And I shit you not, Google Maps. We're on the middle, like in the middle of nowhere on like a pitch black gravel road goes, you have arrived. We were like, what? (laughs) We just like look around. There's no one around. We're just like in the middle of of the woods on this this random gravel road. No one's there. So we start panicking because we think you guys are going to be there in like 30 minutes. We don't even know how to get to you. We have no cell service. So we start driving back down the road. We get the coordinates for the aid station and we're basically just on the wrong side of the valley. Like it just took us to the wrong place. So we're like screaming (laughs) Ariel's minivan down this gravel road. We get onto the right road and we're driving back up and then we get the text. Like we're talking about how do we kind of like NASCAR pit crew this thing out of the van because we're going to have maybe like five minutes before you guys show up. And then we get the text that was like, you're trying to decide on whether you're going to continue or drop. And so we were just like, oh, so we all just kind of stop and we're like parked there and we're like looking around. And you're like, well, no one really knew what to say. And I think then you elaborated on like, well, I've been peeing every 20 minutes and this and this. And so I think I had texted Alex offline at that point to see how things were going. She didn't text me back. So rude. You sent something back eventually that I'm going to keep going. And so, okay, because we were trying to decide, like, what do we do? Right. We're we're at this aid station at 3 a.m. So Andy decided to stay. We took off, go back home, sleep for an hour, come back. But yeah, that was I don't think anyone knew what to say, because I don't think anyone wants to influence your decision. Like we all were just kind of sitting there not sure you want your person who you care about to make the best decision for them like their well-being whether that's you know dropping out or continuing but you don't want anyone to put themselves at risk for the sake of you know what finishing a race
2: yeah i think i could tell andy was relieved because when i said okay we're going he's like
1: love it for me because you kept looking at me you're like should we should i just drop out and i was like I can't answer that for you. Like, I didn't want to be the one to make the call. But I was saying, like, look, like, if we continue, you have to feel confident. You have to feel better before we yeah. go into the woods for another 10 miles where no one can get us. So it was like, I'm good either way. Like, if you had quit, I would have been relieved because I was freezing cold. <laughs> but I was also like, I'm here to support you and in this. So you have to decide. But I also did say, like, we can't do what we just did for another 10 miles. Like, that wasn't safe. And that wasn't it wasn't necessary to to be putting your health at risk like that. And and so when you stood up, you kind of stumbled. And then Ken was like, come here, come here. You're not on flat ground. You're not on flat ground. (laughs) And you you stood up and you're like, you had at that point had a couple noodles. And like, literally, I think you had like two noodles. And you were like, I'm feeling better. I'm going to continue. And I was like, let's do it. Yeah.
2: I looked at you and I was like, we should finish. And you just said, okay, yeah, we went off into the night. I took some noodles to go. <laughs> what was really cool was, well, okay. So Ken like really pissed us off in the middle of the night. Cause like, he's just like, he was relentless. Oh, he was, but he, he's the perfect person for that spot because you're coming out of the coldest part of the whole course. You want to stop. And I watched him do this with runners as they came in and he would give the same spiel. He's like, this is the coldest part. It is downhill from here. That was a lie. It's downhill from here. You're going to drop down into a pocket. It's going to warm up. That was true. Yeah. So like he had all these things that he would say to people to, you know, get them to go. Like you're four hours ahead of cutoff. You have so much time. You can walk it in. All these things. He wouldn't let you quit. I ended up finding, tracking him down after the race to thank, I sent him an email to thank him. And his response was really cool. Like he said, I totally remember you. I was so proud of you that you never said no to me. And you just like took the time to let yourself come around instead of giving up. And he said when Alex and I left that all of the volunteers in the aid station hugged and Mm high-fived because they watched me turn around. And then he said in his three years of manning that aid station, it was one of the coolest moments he had ever experienced, which was like kind of validating, like, yeah, it was bad. (laughs) But we, like, we turned it around and I got out of there. Yeah. It was like such a low low, but then...
1: Yeah, I think you had thought you had hit your low before you picked me up. It was like, no, these hundred milers, the lows are more than you can even imagine.
2: More than you can fathom, which is why, like, when people ask what the heck happened with you and Alex in the middle of the night, like, I don't even know how to explain it because I have so many wonderful memories with you, like, just, like, periods of just, like, uncontrollable laughter, but then also I hated so much of it. (laughs) And so did you. I remember you were so quiet at one point and I was like, oh my gosh, she's so pissed. She's out of here.
0: Wait, wait, wait. You have to tell the story of at some point there was like a, a pooping. Okay. On yes.
1: a- yeah. So, okay. So we keep going, but at one point you're like, I have to pee. So you were pulled over at one of your multiple pee stops and you were like, I think I'm pooping. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pooping. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was what was happening with your body. Over on my side, I had like a brutal stomach ache because I think starting running at six, I never run in the evening. Like it's very rare for me. And I didn't know what to eat. So I ate a lot of like peanut butter jam sandwiches throughout the day. because I was like, this is what I normally eat before I run. So it's just like I had a horrible stomach ache. Like I didn't want to say anything. So I'm like, it's like I'm here for her. And I was managing just fine. But every time that you stopped, I was like leaning over trying to like <laughs> so like i didn't mind the multiple pee breaks on my end selfishly but yeah like you just weren't in good shape so anyways we continued on and things were a lot better we warmed up very quickly you also had one of the participants gave you the ginger chews
2: ginger chews they were awesome yeah i had one of those every few miles yeah, so we're, like, coming down the downhill part. I was running some. Yeah. It was going really well. Like, we were warm. We were starting to laugh. And then I, like, of course, had to poop again. And Alex <laughs> is like, oh, right down there, Tanya. Right down there. That's a great spot. I'm like, yeah, thank you. That, that is perfect. This is why I brought you. So I hunker down and start pooping. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I, like, see somebody on the other side of me, like, right next to me running. <laughs> and I turn around. and I said, Alex, watch where the runners go. Watch where they go. She basically had directed me to poop right in like the hairpin of a switchback. <laughs> so I think I'm
1: hiding from them, but they just loop right around. <laughs> See my bare ass. Oh my gosh. It and was- at that <laughs> point, for some reason, that point was like the most like, concentrated group of runners in a while yeah like oh my us. gosh
2: there were so many
1: you <laughs> <So laughs> know i was sitting down at that boy my feet were killing me i'm not trained to be on my feet for over like three hours <laughs> like my limit had been so far exceeded so every time you stopped i sat down to like relieve my feet so i stood up and i get up and what i see is you <laughs> squatting with your pants down and like basically just like a show of headlamps <laughs>
0: Like, it was great. You were, you were, we like, were lashing. so You were hard. in like multiple spots. <laughs> it's really too bad that no one was with it enough to yell, look away. <laughs> I think at that point, like everyone had seen a naked
1: butt. Like, yeah, it was just, yeah. But yeah, that was actually hilarious. Like, you were like, great. we'll laugh about this later. I was like, I was already laughing. <laughs> yeah, hard. later. Sure. Yeah. And then the sun came up, and that, the sun came out. that was really great. But it- I think that picture that we took, like, kind of says it all too. Like, we're like
2: so tired, but we're smiling, and it's like, Yeah, that was a cool moment. That was that was cool. When we picked
0: you guys up, we were waiting there for you to run in. We were like, okay, so they're probably both going to be crying. She was like, when do you think Alex is going to start crying? And I was like, oh, right away. (laughs) So we're just sitting there prepared to do like emotional management. And then like that run into that aid station, you could probably see people from like a mile out. You could see headlamps yeah. and just people running in. And Andy had binoculars and so he was like spotting you. He's like, it's them. But yeah, just like it, it took another like 10 minutes for you to get to us, I think. And then you ran in and like, so we're just prepared, right? For Waterworks. And you guys are like laughing and chatting. And I was like, wait, running, wait.
1: We were talking about what <laughs> tattoos we were going to get.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that yeah. Was,
1: That's what Andy said that, he said that you two were pretty
2: nervous about like what state you we were going to be in. Yeah. And then he's like, saw us way in the binoculars and he's like,
0: they're running they're (laughs) laughing (laughs) they're not in tears yeah
2: what and that aid station exchange was so fun because we could not stop laughing yeah
1: it was almost like surreal that we had made it It in the night and i think we were just so relieved to have made it there because that was like the goal for me even like i was only running 34 miles but like that's the longest I've ever been out for. Like just, that was the longest I've ever been on my feet. And so the last like 5K, I kept like stopping. I had to be like, hey, I need to stop just for a sec. Just my feet were so painful. Like I was getting nauseous just because my feet were hurting so much. And then uh, the last 2K, I was like, my knee, my knee is hurting. <laughs> but then we ran the last K and that was like yeah. the most yeah. painful kilometer of my entire life. But I think it was really good for us to kind of get moving again and run it in. When people
2: are asking me about how, you know, how it went and why the night was so rough and and I say like, well, I was going to stop. I was going to quit. Everyone's response was, no, you weren't. No, you weren't. No, you weren't. But like Alex was the only one that saw that. And that's why it was so crazy to get to that point, because we really thought we were going to stop and we like made it. And at that point, of course, I was going to finish.
1: I only had 16 left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was kind of nuts. At one point you were like, I have fewer than ten hours to go. I was like, "Holy (laughs) crap! This is just no joke. This whole thing." And I think I said to you, like, "If it makes you feel any better, like I'm hurting, and I haven't been out here for even like a small fraction of the time that you've been out here, like you are really impressive. Like this is impressive that you're doing this right now." And that was coming from the heart. I was like, "I don't know if this is going to help her, but I just need to say it because this is like
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) really hard
1: stuff." And it was kind of crazy. Like we were passing people, and then they would pass us. It was like, and many people were kind of dying and coming back to life. It's like it was a cycle. It was just a really cool experience. And I, I think for me, like I said, I've coached people nutrition wise to get to these, these types of races and I've congratulated them. And I've, I've, you know, ask them how it was and think like this experience gave me a whole new perspective. Like, of course, mm-hmm. educationally, like I'm able to better help them now with their nutrition. And especially you, if you decide to do this again, but from just like an experience and a, a relatability standpoint, I just have so much more knowledge. And yeah, it was pretty crazy. At one point you were like, I'm going to celebrate hitting 80 miles with a ginger chew, taking a cup of noodles. And like you had a small cup. And you were like, I have one serving of noodles left. I'm going to take them in 20 minutes. You carried noodles with you. I don't think they had any liquid at that point. But I was like, (laughs) what's a serving? You're like, I think I have three noodles left. Like at that point, that's what you were doing to try to get food in. And it was making a difference. And then by the end, you were able to have, I think you had another gel at some point.
2: I feel just fine with Ariel too. Like once I switched you guys out.
1: I think just, and Meredith kind of said it after like your body isn't supposed to be digesting food at nighttime. And I think that contributes a little bit too to the nausea and the difficulties that we both had, specifically you, but at three in the morning, like you're just, you're not supposed to be eating. Once we finished and you went off, I like, I took my shoes off, I hobbled to the van and I passed out. And I was just like, I don't know how she's doing this. I think I cried, like had tears in my eyes, just getting emotional thinking that you had continued on after that. i like, yeah. that you were going to finish. And then when you cross the finish line, I cried because I was just like, you overcame something so hard.
2: I know. I thought I was going to be way more emotional at the finish, but I was more just so over it and <laughs> so done until like you and I hugged like a prolonged hug. <laughs> and then we like stopped hugging and you were crying. And I was like, I can't look at her. I'll lose it. I had to like move on.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then we went and had some food and you were like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do that-, that again. And then I was texting you on Monday and you're like, I'm thinking of putting my name in the lottery for Western States. I was like, God damn it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but then you immediately said, I mean, I wouldn't not support you. Yeah,
1: but I didn't mean like physically. But
2: then you did agree to pace me if I do it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty conflicted
2: on that. Like, I'm going to enter it because like your entry doesn't count for anything unless you enter the lottery. So if I enter and don't get in and then in another three or four years try again, I would have double the slots. So I think it's silly not to enter. And but part of me, like, hopes I don't get (laughs) in. That's fair. Give
1: yourself the option.
2: Yeah. It's also soon. I'm like four days out. Yeah. Four. Is that how long it's been? Yeah.
1: What is a day? Yeah.
2: I mean, we'll see. There's a a lot of time
1: here and then. So Meredith had some stories to tell because, like, she saw things at the aid stations
0: that we weren't there for. So, Meredith, you told me one about some guy and his shoes. Oh, yeah, this was at mile 57. So, again, that first aid station that you were with, you guys were together. This guy runs through and he, or no, he was there when we got there and he had one of his shoes off and someone was like sawing at it with a knife and essentially they were trying to cut a hole in the back because he had this like apparently like really bad bone spur in his heel and the shoes were just rubbing it and it was very painful so they finally, after probably like 10 minutes of sawing, get the back of the shoe punched out and he puts it back on and he, you know, runs up and down the trail a little bit. And he's like, I I don't know. Like, it's really painful. I don't think I can do it. Takes his shoes off and he's just standing there kind of looking around and he's like, do you think I can run barefoot? Do you think I'll get disqualified if I run barefoot? He's just got his socks on, like just shorts, t shirt socks. Wasn't wearing a coat, wasn't wearing like a buff or anything. He's like, I'm going to go ask. So he goes down to the race official who's at the bottom of that aid station and comes back about 10 minutes later and is like, I can run it barefoot. And he like, I think, grabbed his pack or whatever and literally takes off into the woods wearing socks. And we got his number like his bib number because i was like i gotta know if this guy finishes and he finished <laughs> he ran the whole thing <laughs> the rest of it almost 50 percent of much. the race without any shoes on which is crazy yeah.
2: i bet his feet do not look no oh.
0: Probably not. No. Yeah. I was like, how do you do that? I mean, obviously, like he looked like he was a pretty fit dude, but there's so much danger to your toes. But that's tenacity. I've never crewed a race like this before, or really any race. And I guess I didn't think about how much like driving it would be, especially for a point to point, because Elk Valley, even though it's very short, you run loops. And so you kind of loop through the same areas. So crewing and having aid stations, really easy. This one, you have to literally like pick up your whole camp and relocate it. And there were tons of people in sprinter vans and RVs, I think because it was just easier to camp at the aid stations versus if you're in a house, you know, drive to the aid station, Mm -hmm. drive back to the house, drive to the next aid station, drive back to the house. And so you try to and I assume you pick one that's somewhat central. So you're not doing like a massive drive. But yeah, it's still a lot of driving around and certainly not an abundance of sleeping happening. I wasn't doing anything specific for the crew. So I just did some video and, you know, tried to help with other things. But it was a trip seeing, you know, just all of these people. And I'm such an empath that like every time a runner would come in and their families, I would just like tear up seeing people doing it and taking off and I mean I cry when people finish marathons so like ultra marathon was -hmm. kind of next level and there was this other girl running at mile 57 she had come in and she was in really bad shape like her heart rate was really high I think I heard her say like her heart rate had been 175 for the last 10 miles and she was like shaking like shivering and so she ended up getting medically withdrawn but her family like they don't even flinch when you know she's like I think I have to quit or pull out and I think this this girl's like a somewhat legit runner like she look legit. And then later they posted, Alpine Running posted one of her posts where she explained what happened and how supportive her family was. And I was reading her post crying again. So it's, yeah, it was just a very emotionally charged weekend.
2: And I think to that point, like your crew can make or break the race. Like some people do it crewless. I don't know how they do that. But Andy had mentioned like, oh, you always looked so good when we saw you. And my mom even mentioned the, the video that Meredith put together. Today, she said, I think Meredith should have included some of your low points. And I said, Mom, she didn't see any. I was always so uplifted when I saw my crew because you guys were so awesome. And all of my best memories from the race was when I came in and saw you guys and got pumped up or when I had Alex or Ariel with me. The best moments of the race were those. So like you guys made the race, in my opinion. For me, like, yeah, I did the training, but like the best moments were with you guys.
0: It was really cool to see. I mean, I think it's the ultimate example of how an individual sport can actually be very much a team sport. No one gets, Mm -hmm. you know, through something like that without a lot of support from the people who are around them, especially if you're doing these types of races. And you're someone who, you know, has a family who has a full time job who has to give up. I mean, it's not just the race where you need support. It's the training. I mean, you, you don't do this without a substantial amount of training. And you can't do the training without support from your family, from your partner, from your coworkers. probably. Yeah, it's just a, a testament, I think, to the amount of support that you have in your life like day to day. And yeah.
2: just you guys all getting there. Like Ariel and Matt have two small children. They had to get child care arranged. We had to get child care arranged. You guys basically dropped your lives and came. Yeah. Three weeks out. Yep, we'll book tickets. Like it was overwhelming to think like what you guys did for me. So Thank
1: you. Yeah, it was cool for me to support somebody in person, but also felt like a lot of pressure. Like if someone texts me, being like, "I'm having a really hard day," I, you know, I, I can think it through. I, I can write a nice a note that I feel like is the right thing to say. I can run it by Meredith, like, "Hey, how would you, you know, help somebody in this situation?" If I need, you know, another opinion, but with you and I just out there, it was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like I have to be on. It was a good experience from a coaching standpoint, but also just like a friend standpoint. I've always been the person competing. So it was kind of cool to be the person like supporting. It was a good experience for me. An opportunity like this is an opportunity for a lot of like growth and learning, I imagine. What would you say was your biggest takeaways, growth moments or like things that you learned about yourself?
2: Probably that like I can, I mean, obviously this is cliche, but like you can do anything that you set your mind to. Like what I did is incredible. And I was able to do it in a way that like balanced things with my family. I'm feeling very confident about like what I can do as an athlete, just as far as like training and balancing my family life and putting in the time and pulling back when I need to. Like there was a lot of adjustments in the four months leading up when I needed it. I'm also learning like this week, my expectations of myself are pretty high, like my competitive side, my all or nothing mentality has gotten quieter, but I still battle with it. Like I'm beating myself up. A little bit like, wow, your second half was so much slower than your first half, which is absurd. I finished 100 miles. I should just be happy with that. But I think old habits die hard. So I'm learning that that's like just like a work in progress to just be proud of myself and not hold myself to these perfect expectations of, oh, well, the race should have gone perfectly. It's like I've had highs and lows because of those two thought processes over the past week.
1: Yeah. And I think like when I say like opportunities for growth, I think the fact that like you completed the race, it wasn't what you wanted or expected or imagined. It was difficult. And like the opportunity there for growth, or at least one opportunity is to have to like cope with that and like be okay with it and force yourself into like accepting it and being proud. And that's like, it takes a lot of like intention and and proactivity to remove those like negative judgmental thoughts about yeah. your experience and and really think hard, like, did I do my best? And, and that there is helpful. I mean, I've been through it with athletics and running and I'm sure Meredith has as well. And I think my takeaway here is a lot of people listening to this and even me, I'm like, I would never do that. I just, I don't think I will ever do that. It's so hard. I think a lot of people can't even imagine, but it's like the post we did that we recorded when we were waiting for you at the aid station. Like, a hundred mile race is a good representation of a lot of really difficult things in life. And it's gonna get hard. It's gonna feel like, you know, there are moments where you wanna quit and there are gonna be great moments. There are gonna be tough moments. And I think the takeaway is like, you got to keep going and you, you really need to say like is this a moment where i actually need to quit or is it just something that's yeah. really hard and i just need a moment to pause give myself some grace and then see about keeping going and not you know making any rash decisions like we were at that aid station for an hour i said like just give it a minute see how you feel. And same thing that Ken was saying, like, give it a minute, get some things in like, and then let's see, don't just quit at the moment it gets hard. Um, And that's a good takeaway for a lot of people, whether it's a fitness endeavor, a work endeavor, a family endeavor, like you shared something with me about the actual hardest thing that you've done and something that was longer than 30 hours. I don't know if you're comfortable sharing that. Childbirth. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you said you said when it was starting to get really hard, like, did I ever tell you how long I was in labor for? And I said no. And you were like, I was in labor for 35 hours. And that was to me, I was like, okay, she can do hard things. And I think, yeah. and it's experiences like that where you prove to yourself that you can make it and it's not giving yourself the option. Like childbirth, there is really no option. You have to get through it but hundred mile races, there are options to quit. And I think you have to treat those goals and things like, no, it's not an option unless, you know, there is no option kind of thing. There's a fine line, but I think you have to push the line as far as it can go before you drop out. And you did a good job of really pushing and, and then making the call that was right for you. I
2: think that's like a really good point too, because the night before the race and we were having our crew meeting, I just thank you all for being there. And like, I felt like this was a culmination of me as a mom and an athlete like all these things because you know Instagram is a highlight reel and it looks like I'm just off doing all these athletic things even though I have two small children but it hasn't been easy like there have been points where I've had to adjust my approach to things or pause things that I thought like goals that I had and it just didn't work out at the time and I had two really really awful deliveries, really rough postpartum, postpartum depression. It was really ugly and arguably the hardest four years of my life. But if you just keep moving forward, you'll make progress. And I think the, the whole thing that happened in the middle of the night in the aid station, I think is like pretty symbolic, actually, because it's very similar. Like I just needed to wait, let my body take in what it needed before I kept moving instead of trying to force something that I wasn't ready to do but don't give
1: up. One of my clients, she's got two young kids and she was listening to the, the podcast and Tanya was so inspiring. You know, she's got two young kids and she's doing all these athletic endeavors and like I can barely, you know, get my workouts in. And, and you know, maybe we should have talked more about some of the struggles that you've had. But mm-hmm. I said, you know, everyone has their shit and sometimes you just can't see it. But it's yeah. it's hard for everyone. And I think, you know, we try to be real people and share our struggles. And like, we're kidless. We, you know, we have it pretty good right now and we don't have much to complain about. But we do try to say like, even when it comes to relationships, like not everything is, is what you see on Instagram. And just because someone looks to be doing a better job than you're doing doesn't mean that it's all sunshine and rainbows. And there's going to be, you know, times where it's actually great and easy, and there's going to be times where it's really tough. And I think there's value in just understanding where you're at and not making comparisons yeah. that could potentially make it worse. And I think saying like, you know, Tanya's an inspiration is great saying that Tanya makes me feel bad isn't even though I understand that because I've been there in certain aspects of my life I'm really glad that you came on this podcast to share I'm sure it's only been four days since the race and I'm sure you haven't processed a lot but we wanted to jump on it because we've talked about it so much and we're like we can't do this podcast without her and I want to do it now before I forget I've already forgotten so many things I think that Ken had a pink headband or something and you were like pink headband and what are you talking about yeah it was just things like that I was like, I don't want to forget those little things so overall just what an incredible experience and, and a An incredible accomplishment. So thanks for uh, allowing me to be a part of your, this word is so cheesy, but your journey because it truly, Mm -hmm. truly has been from the very beginning of
0: us working together.
1: Meredith, are you jealous?
0: Yeah. I mean, I have her number now though, so.
1: Yeah. You were texting Meredith the other day and I was like, oh, no, is this going to be one of those things that like
0: my friend starts texting Meredith? Because that always happens. It does <laughs> happen. I have become the proxy social coordinator for Alex. So feel free.
2: Oh, my gosh, you guys. I know I've like been grieving that I don't live close to you guys. I was like, that was so fun. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's when you get older when you find other couples that you get along with and it's like kind of rare sometimes, but you know, there's many more races and things to do. So it's fine. Plus we'll see each other in November for Philadelphia. Yeah.
1: So, Yeah, I'll plug Philadelphia. So Tanya's coming out for Philadelphia. She's in Run Club. And Mm -hmm. there's multiple people from Run Club coming out. But there's also multiple people not in Run Club who are going to be out in Philly. And we're going to have a pretty good crew out there. There's a a marathon, a half marathon at 8K. And there are some people who are coming who aren't running. And Meredith's going to hopefully be running the 8K. I'm running the marathon. Tanya's running the marathon. We're going to be doing a shakeout run. We're going to be doing coffee and meetups. It's going to be a whole weekend of fun. And we're taking tactic from remote to in person. You don't want to miss it. So it's going to be, as you said on our group chat the other day, the, our Run Club group chat, like Philly's going to be lit. Lit. And I, I think it will, <laughs> I'm really excited. We have t-shirts. It's going to be really a great time. So only a couple months until then.
0: It's November 18th and 19th.
1: Unless you have anything else to add, we'll sign off and probably have you back on the podcast after your next big accomplishment or... To talk more about your successes.
2: Cool. Sounds
1: good. Yeah,
0: thanks again. Bud, Panther, and Mert out.